pressure on me to preach this morning after worship and a prayer like that. that I enjoyed worship this morning. I enjoy it every morning, but I got to tell you something. It's so fitting to watch people. You know, when people have a talent to sing or a talent to do stuff, our band is awesome, by the way. Give them a hand. They really are. <clears throat> but what takes that up a level is when you see someone not just have the talent to sing, but to have the, 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 the spiritual gift to lead us in worship. And they're using that talent that's there. This morning, we're actually going to be talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, and I want to make a couple of distinctions before we move too quickly. Uh, what we have is we have talents that we're born with. This is just kind of who you are. A lot of people have talents. Um, each of us have something that we're good at. Then we also have skills that we acquire, that we learn, that, we, that can be uh, practiced into or, or beaten into us. Especially if any of you have ever been in the military, you know that you acquire skills uh, through repetition and pain, Right. Uh, and, and then there's, then there's just, there, there's, there's gifts and gifts are given to us by the Lord for specific reasons. And we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit, but, but before we kind of get rolling into spiritual gifts, uh, it's, it's challenging sometimes when we start talking about spiritual gifts. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, if you will, because I guarantee you in this room, people are all over the map with what are the spiritual gifts? What do spiritual gifts looks like? How are they supposed to be exercised? Who does and who doesn't have those? So if you would, for just uh, the next couple of moments, hang on with me and don't bring in the preconceived ideals of what spiritual gifts are and just, just walk with me a little bit through this. Because if, if you don't, you're going to end up with things like this first picture up here because I love memes uh, and memes make me laugh. Uh, they tell great stories. Call the ministry, but you can't stack chairs, right? And if you know Cat Stevens, you know the way he said that was probably not church related, but it's hilarious to me. How many times people are like, oh, yes, I, I love Jesus. I love, the, I love the church. I love everything that's going on. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. Babies, are you kidding me? I've raised my kids. I don't want to do that anymore. And then you've got this next meme up here. This one really makes me laugh. And this is every church I've ever been in, every single one. When our kids were, were, were actually in the nursery, uh, when we were at First Baptist Church of Bryan, I'm just going to call them out like it is, uh, uh, the, 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 the director of children's ministry in preschool required you, if you had your kids in preschool, that you had to work at least one Sunday a quarter. And I did all I could. I was working retail at the time. I did all I could to make sure that Sunday was the one I had to work. I just couldn't do it. You know, I, I, got, I got to go to work, bring money home, right? Um, because that meant you had, to, you had to change diapers. And I'm like, I'm already doing this. Why do I want to go to church and change diapers? It's like a mechanic's car that's always broke down. Why do I want to fix my car when I go home? I'm dealing with everybody else, right? But this is probably the best picture that describes spiritual gifts, and it's this one right here. Spider-Man had it right, right? At least Uncle Ben did. With spiritual gifts comes spiritual responsibility. Now, I want that to soak in for just a little bit, because as we start talking about spiritual gifts, what often happens is this, is that your spiritual gifts, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ and says, I believe he is the son of God, that he died and rose for me after three days to cover my sins, for those of you who have accepted that truth for eternity, what happens is that you receive gifts from the spirit, and each of us get these different gifts to utilize for the entirety of the body to build us up and do a lot of things. But sometimes what we end up doing is we strangle out those gifts for a lot of reasons. 
One of them, first and foremost, you're poorly discipled. No one's really taught you how to use those gifts or find those. The second one is that you're malnourished because you've chosen not to feed on God's word to learn about those gifts. And the third is you're, you're still navigating between what God has supernaturally empowered me with these gifts to what I actually want to do because the flesh and the spirit are battling out. Welcome to humanity. That's part of it, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about these spiritual gifts a little bit, but, but let me tell you a quick story to, to get us kind of a little bit on the same page. There was a, a man from Chicago who went duck hunting uh, in, in Wisconsin, and so he goes to Wisconsin, and this duck comes flying over, and he shoots this duck, and the duck dies in the field across the fence that he's not allowed to hunt on. And so he says, you know what? I killed the duck. The humane thing to do is to go over and get the duck and get it out of there, right? Most hunters will understand and respect that, okay? So he crosses the fence, and he doesn't make it all the way to the duck before the farmer rolls up on his tractor. And he asks him, what, hey, young man, what are you doing? He goes, well, I shot this duck. I got to go over and get this duck. He goes, no, that duck died in my field. That's my duck. He's like, no, that's not how it works. He goes, that's how it works in Wisconsin. He says, well, I'm going to have a whole, I'm going to call the county sheriff. He'll come figure this out. He goes, go right ahead. He's my brother. I, I, I hadn't seen him in a while. <laughs> he says, but we do things a little bit different out here on the farm. He says, and I think we can come to an agreement. The guy says, okay, sounds good. He says, here's what we'll do. He says, we're going to take turns kicking each other three times, and the first one to give up wins. The guy's like, well, my brother's the sheriff. I'm from out of state. All right, sounds good. So the old farmer gets off of his tractor, got his steel toe boots on. He walks up to the guy and kicks him right in the shins. Guy doubles over, falls down. He kicks him right in the backside. Guy's crying there on the ground. And he kicks him one more time just for good measure. Farmer says, all right, son, it's your turn. The guy stands up and goes, you know what? I give up. You can have the duck. Sometimes we just like to kick one another, don't we? Sometimes when people are down, we kick them a little bit. And I have seen fewer things in the church really disrupt and let us kick one another than when we start talking about spiritual gifts. And so if you would today, give up before we even start kicking one another. And let's see what the scripture says. See, the scripture is very clear. And I'll tell you that, that, that John MacArthur, who I think is, is brilliant in a lot of ways and way smarter than I ever could, but he talks about spiritual gifts in such a way to help us understand that spiritual gifts empower the ministry that God has called us to when he saved us and redeemed us from an eternity without Jesus, okay? And he says this about, about spiritual gifts. He says, a Christian who does not have a ministry is a contradiction in terms. And so let me just be blunt and straight. If you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a ministry, and you ought to be using those gifts and those talents and those skills for God's work in the ministry of the body and in the community to bring others to the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ. And to say that I don't have a ministry or I'm not called to ministry, that I can't stack chairs or I can't do this, is basically just saying that I do not believe that God has not only not given me gifts, but perhaps maybe he's not actually saved me. And here's the good news. You're wrong about that. Because when he saved you, the Spirit gives amply to you your gifts, and you've got to learn about those gifts and how to exercise those things. And most people can see other people's gifts and how they live, work, and play, and act according to the body. They can also see you wrestling with stagnation. I have a great friend named Blaze Pope. Blaze is from, from New Orleans. He's a Katrina transplant. He's been here in Houston since then. Uh, he's probably close to 70 by now. He's got COPD and some other challenges. 
But Blaze is one of the wisest, most godly men I've ever met. And he told me one day, he said, young man, which that made me feel good because I'm just not feeling that young these days. He said, young man, let me tell you something. It's a whole lot better for you to wear out before you rust out. That's a good statement, isn't it? It's a whole lot better to wear out before you rust out. And we wear out because God fuels us with his spirit and these gifts to go and do good things. What we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is, that, that, that is this, and this is a great place to go, but don't go there yet. It just says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want to, you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. These gifts are not just for us to serve others, but it's also to build us up and to keep us on the right path, moving closer to be more and more like Jesus every day. The word disciple means follower of, and we are to be disciples of Christ, a follower of. And when we follow the example, we follow the leader, we become more like him. We step where he steps, we touch who he touches, we love who he loves, and we do these things by using the gifts he's given us to overcome the world's fears and our own doubts and our own anxieties so that we might, one, be built up ourselves, and two, build up others. And so if you do have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. It's probably the last quarter of your Bible uh, or whatever page it is on your phone. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and, and this is one of Paul's letters to the, to the church at Ephesus. And, and this is a couple of great, great uh, passages of, of Paul's application of what God is doing throughout the church and how he's trying to build up the believers and so this particular passage talks to us a little bit more, it sounds like, towards the leadership and through the pastors and everything else. So before you dial out of there and say, I'm not a pastor, let me tell you something. You are a royal priesthood, and I believe deeply in the priesthood of the believer that God has equipped those who believe in him to be about as his messenger to the rest of the world, beginning in his home and going out to his community, to his neighbors, to the very ends of the earth. And so this morning, I believe we're all part of a royal priesthood. Now, we have different responsibilities, and we have different jobs within this body here, but that means that not any of us are separated from the love of Christ. We have direct access to him because of Jesus, and that's good news. So let's read together in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, as we talk about spiritual gifts for a moment. It begins this way. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers— to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work that last verse is challenging because i either am part of the whole body or i'm not even if you're a wart you're part of the body if you don't believe me, cut one of those things off. Your body will feel it, okay? Somebody's got to be. The whole body is a part of this, joined together, working together in unity towards love. 
And so my question for you this morning is, why do we have spiritual gifts? Why were we given these spiritual gifts? Why did God choose each of us differently to distribute these gifts? And we'll get into what those gifts are here in a few minutes. But why did he give those? Well, I think this passage of Scripture tells us that there are five specific reasons why we were given spiritual gifts. And they're wonderful reasons, and they're not just reserved for the pastors, they're not just reserved for the the church leadership, they're not just reserved for the paid professionals of spirituality, they're given to all of us. Many years ago, there was a pastor who was called to a little rural church, and he, uh, the first thing he did was he sat down with as many families as he could, and he went and he had dinner with them, and then he called a, a, a meeting one night uh, on a Wednesday night, and he says, this is what we're going to do, church. I'm going to teach you about evangelism. I'm going to teach you about how to share Jesus with other people. I'm going to show you some techniques and some methods. I'm going to walk you through the scripture so that you can believe what God's word says and share it with other people so they can enjoy all the things that you have. And this church is going to be a, a beacon and a lighthouse to this entire community for over the next six weeks we're going to learn how to do this and one old boy in the back raised his hand and he said pastor yeah yeah what, what he got back there brother he says i thought that's what we hired you for and the pastor just with as much tact and loving kindness as i possess myself said y'all ain't paying me near enough to do all that Let me tell you something, folks. When it comes to serving Jesus and telling others about him, it's not a job. It's an adventure. It's an adventure that is fully fueled by the Holy Spirit, and we are equipped. It is one of those, everybody get in the boat. I don't have a life jacket. You got Jesus. That's all you need. Let's go. I know that sounds crazy and blind faith and everything else, but we are given these gifts for these five reasons. So let me point them out to you a little bit. If you've still got your Bible, you may look back and forth. I'm not going to put the slides up. But it says that we're put here to equip one another. Verse 12 tells us very clearly that my job as a pastor and anyone's job in the role of pastor is to see that the, that the, that the saints are equipped to be about the ministry. Some of your, your translations probably say that, that the saints, those who have been redeemed by Christ and forgiven, who are no longer identified as sinner but saints, have been equipped for the ministry. And the ministry is there to build us up, to grow one another. That's the second one that's out there is to edify to bring up the Lord Jesus and put him at the high place where he, where he belongs. Many, many times I, I have watched and I hear people talking about the crucified Christ and who he is and, and, and how important he is in our lives. But I have to be honest with you. My Christ went to a cross for, for a few hours. He went to the grave for three days, but then he rose out of that. And it's high time that we as a body of believers especially have to get Jesus off the cross and get him on the throne because that's where he belongs. And the throne is in your heart. That's where he dwells. If you were to go back to, to other places in, in 1 Corinthians, what you would see is, or even Ephesians chapter 3, you'd see at the very end of that, that, that we are being built into a dwelling place for the Lord. He's not talking about a building, a gymnasium, a, a, a trailer out there. He's talking about each and every individual where Christ dwells within our hearts. We are the building that Christ is building to dwell in our hearts so that we might be about the good works that he has called for us to do in advance. And so when we edify one another, when we build each other up in love, when we edify Christ and put him in the right place of the throne of our hearts and the throne of all of our relationships, the throne of our minds, then we, we are following him in those spiritual gifts. And each of us having a different gift comes about that a different way, but we all end up at the same place, at the foot of the throne, kneeling down, worshiping the King of Kings. That's why we're given spiritual gifts. It's this extra thing that helps us worship God in a way that he has wired us and connected us to do so. And then to use that wiring and connectivity to reach out into 
other people, for people to look and go, man, there is something different about that person. They're not just weirdos, but they do things so oddly. They're so equipped to do this. They have the right words to say. They know, they know when I need something. They have this discernment about them that says, man, I know what questions to ask. And when I'm around those people, I want to be more like them. I want to find out what makes them tick. Let me tell you something. That's the Holy Spirit working in you through the gifts that you've been given that draws people in like a moth to a flame. Unfortunately, sometimes it's more like flies to, I'll leave that alone. You know what I mean? To, to rotten meat. Let's don't be that way. Let's edify the body. Let's build us up. Let's grow one another up. Let's spur one another on like we talked about last week towards love and good works. The third thing we see is that we mature. We watch people so many times, and this is what's really, really challenging sometimes, is that especially if you've grown up uh, in, a, in a Baptist church particularly or more mainline Protestant, what you know is that when you were a kid at VBS, somebody told you about Jesus right after the clown got up and did all the juggling and everything, or the fireman came out, they told you about Jesus, and you were like, yes, and you wanted to get baptized, and we baptized you when you were seven years old. You couldn't even swim yet, but somebody's holding you under the water. You know, that's pretty cool. And then by the time you're 14 or 15, you're trying to figure out what's happening in your life. When you're 20 or 25 in there, you've, you, you've gone off to college or you've got a job and you're away from home and you're actually becoming an adult and you're responsible for stuff. And then all the bills start piling up and life starts piling up. And then things start falling apart and breaking. And you're going you're like, you know what? We should probably get back to church because we got kids now and somebody needs to tell our kids about Jesus. That's you who needs to do that, by the way. That's your job. This is the B team up here, okay? But what we end up missing out on this is that we stay in that immature state in such a way that we keep farming these things off to the professionals. We keep farming this thing off. We're here to support you and to help you in all the things that are doing. But the challenge is, is that you cannot be 37 years old and got saved at the age of seven and still not know the scripture, not love the scripture, not know who Jesus is, be so spiritually lost and say that you're a mature believer in Christ. You're not. Hebrews tells us that you need to get off the milk and get on the meat. I don't know if you've ever seen a child who's been on a bottle for too long, but their teeth start to rot. And when their teeth start to rot, the gums start to rot. And when the gums start to rot, the, 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 the permanent teeth come in or don't come in the right way. And most of those kids are malnourished and they're skinny and they can't eat things because it hurts them to do so. And so when someone gives you a hard teaching, the truth of God's word sometimes that you may not want to hear and you've been sitting in church for a long time, I tell you, check your teeth. You may have rotted them out in such a way that when the meat shows up, you can't eat that. It's going to wreck your mouth and your tummy and everything else. And you can't handle that because you said you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you don't know him. And you're not maturing yourself up. Now, the last couple of days, I've been working hard with this Midsummer Festival with all these nonprofits. It was hot as a blazes out there. I've lost seven pounds in the last two days. Praise God for that, right? Six of that was water, and the other one was all the skin that's going to be peeling off my face here. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something, friends. That's no way to lose weight. That's not how you do it. Likewise, to not use your spiritual gifts is no way to fit into a church and just sit there in the pews and enjoy who you are and believe somebody else has got this taken care of. Look, it's not about, and hear me on this, okay? This is a hard teaching. It's not about laziness. It's not about lack of desire. It's about fear most of the time. I'm afraid of messing this up. I'm afraid that I may lead someone astray. Let me tell you something. One of the scariest days for me every single week is Sunday morning. When I was approached about, uh, about planning a church and preaching, 
That was the last thing I ever wanted to do. I am content, more than content, in a hut in the middle of the jungle telling people who don't speak my language about Jesus. I would do that 24-7 if I could and if my wife wasn't afraid of bugs. That was never what I wanted for my life. I'll just be honest with you. My seminary training was not preaching. You've probably already figured that out. That's not what I want to do. Missions, it's telling people about Christ. It's evangelism. By the way, one of my spiritual gifts, in case you're curious, evangelism. I want people to know this Jesus that I love so much. I want people to know this Jesus who's forgiven me, and I know what I've done, even if you don't. I want people to, to know this Jesus, experience this Jesus, to walk with this Jesus in such a way to say that no matter what happens to me in this life, I know eternity is taken care of, but when the hard times come, I'm not alone. And not only is he with me, but his people are with me because we're all part of the body, connected together in love so that every part is working the way it's supposed to be working. Atrophy sets in, though, when I don't use those spiritual gifts. Now, I don't believe you can lose your spiritual gifts, but I do believe you can absolutely choke them out by not using them, by not using them, by not working out, by not building up the body individually and collectively, challenging one another as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As the older women are taught within Titus that they ought to be teaching the younger women how to, to live and to be wives and to be mothers, to be spiritual leaders in the church. They're exercising those gifts so that the body may be built up, so that it perseveres, so it doesn't rust out, it wears out. That's what our gifts are for. It's also there to protect us. Church, one of the most challenging things that I have seen in the last two years in the, in the church as a whole in the United States. As COVID came in, uh, I don't know how many of you saw this, heard this, or believe this, and, and I'm, I'm not here to judge you on this. I just have to use this as an example because it, it, it frightens me, but it does make me snicker just a little bit. I don't know if you know this or not, but 5G technology with your cell phones apparently spreads COVID. Have y'all heard that? You, right now you're trying to figure out, is he serious? I'm not serious but people believe that. And they're going to believe a whole lot of things. And they're going to think all this stuff is happening. And here's, here's what's really challenging. And I'm going to talk to the conspiracy theorists out there. And I love you all. And you all got a little bit of inkling here or there. You listen to it. I'm just, I'm just going to just plead with you for a moment. It's challenging to mature in Christ. It's challenging to protect yourself from the inundation of information that comes your way each and every day, most of which you invite in, by the way. Okay, so don't blame the press or the world or anybody else. Most of you open up the phone, you, you, your neck hurts because you've got text neck. You're down there. Your thumbs don't work like they used to because you're just all over the little screens, okay? But the real difficulty is, is when you absorb all this information, you don't know where it came from and anything else, and you're not applying it against the very best filter you could possibly apply it against, is that you walk into conspiracies in such a way that could possibly be true. All right, hear me on that. But you have no way of validating it. And anything, hear me, anything that you can't validate and prove that you pass on to somebody else is bearing false witness. One of the Ten Commandments. It could very well be true. It could very well be false. It could very well change tomorrow because that's what the 24-7 news cycle does, okay? But answer me this. 
no matter what it is, does it build up the body of Christ? Does it build up the believer? Does it take people closer to Jesus? Or does it take them further away and entrap them in fear, no matter what it is? No matter what it is. That's the filter. That's the challenge. And when we know what our spiritual gifts are, when we accept what our spiritual gifts are, when we see that our spiritual gifts are not just for our use and our edification, but for building one another up in love, it protects us from going down the wrong path. It doesn't protect us from using our brains, from reading information, from deciphering those things, to taking these things that bother us before the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know if this is true or not. It gets under my skin and bothers me. Can you help me to discern this? Are there other brothers and sisters in Christ who can likewise point me to Scripture, not point me to, yes, the more likes it is, the more true it must be. And it stops me, it protects me from getting myself in such a place that this is my identity marker, not Jesus Christ. I read an amazing article a couple of weeks ago regarding homosexuality, and it was really challenging to me. But, but what, I, what I read in there really, really, really spoke to my heart a little bit. Church, I, I, I want to I be clear on this. I do think sin is sin. And I think sin is sin because it separates us from the love of God and it disconnects us from one another. I don't think there's hierarchy or anything else regarding sin. I think all sin separates us from God. I think certain sins do carry an additional moral consequence, ethical consequence, and worldly consequence. We all are going to judge and do those things, but every single sin disconnects us from God. And he wants us to repent of those sins. And he wants to forgive us of those. And so don't hear me bashing on homosexuals because I'm not doing that this morning. Homosexuality is not an identity as far as I'm concerned. Who you have sex with is a whole lot least important of who has redeemed your soul. Because if you put those categories in the same place, homosexual, heterosexual, whatever the case may be, then we're going to identify by that moniker of I'm identified by who I have sex with versus I'm identified by the one who's forgiven me and redeemed me. And that's where we're missing it sometimes, church, because we don't protect ourselves by using our spiritual gifts to say, how do I love someone who fundamentally thinks, acts, and behaves differently than what I do? And how do I still love them the way that I do? Versus, let's close off, let's get in this little evangelical bubble for a second and say, this is what we allow around here. I'm sorry, folks, but there was not a single person that Jesus said, go clean yourself up and come back to me. There wasn't a one. Not a one. Because if there was, I was him. Get it? While we don't have spiritual gifts, the Spirit is still prompting us and calling us to come towards the Master, to sit at his feet, not because of the authority that he has, but because of the love that he wants to demonstrate and pour out to you. That is what draws people in. And when the Spirit dwells within each and every one of us and our gifts are being manifested by how we live, act, play, and react to one another in the body and outside of the body, people swarm that way and we usher them in towards the throne. That's what our gifts are for. And we're protected from lying into any of those traps of the enemy, regardless of what they are, that take us away from the plumb line of Jesus. There is one way to salvation. It's through Christ. It's not being a good person. It's not good deeds. It's not righteous acts. Those things are awesome. They ought to be done, but anybody can do that, even the pagans, as we just read here. 
but it's the spirit in us and the gifts that have been given to us that finally promote love. Every one of our gifts should be promoting us to love one another regardless of our differences. And I'm not talking about these superficial surface level differences. I'm talking about these differences that fundamentally shape us and rock our souls. The ones that that define us in such a way that I just can't be around people like that. Or I just can't be around people like that. Listen, I get it. It's tough. It's a really hard thing sometimes to have people around you that think and act and believe differently than you. It's hard. It's really hard. But if we're not careful, we drift the wrong way. And we start fitting in. And we stop bowing to the throne. We start compromising in such a way. And we get into places where we're not protected and we're no longer loving people by allowing them to stay in that sin and not speaking into that in love. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a Christ follower is watching people make decisions that you know is not only contrary to Scripture but will harm them. It will harm their bodies, it will harm their minds, it will harm their very souls and passively letting it happen. This past week, I had a conversation with an old friend. I went to speak to a, a, a group here in town, and I said, listen, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your group. Can you tell me what the rules are? And they're like, yes, um, because you're representing the, the pregnancy center, uh, please don't go political. And I looked at him, and I said, brother, I've known you a long time, and, and, and I appreciate that. I said, but let me tell you something. When it comes to pro-life, that is a moral issue. It's not a political issue. Okay. And so I won't go political, but I won't go hammering you over the head of stuff because at, at the baseline of pro-life is the reality that, mor- that, that, that our morals say you cannot be okay with the intentional taking of an unborn child. You cannot be okay with that and say, well, I'm Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or whatever. You can't be okay with that because of your political affiliation. That's a moral issue that you've got to deal with. That's a sin issue that has to be dealt with. And so I could have said, brother, I'm not going to come and talk. I'm not going to come and do these things. Instead, hey, no problem, man. I got ways around that. And the first thing I said was, hello, I'm John Davis. Who doesn't love babies? Our spiritual gifts can protect us. They can build us up. They can grow us in love. They were given to us so that we might work together in unity and in harmony. And so my question to you this morning is simply this. What abilities has God given you to serve one another? What gifts has God given you to serve one another? I'm as human as the next person. I love when people high-five me and tell me, that was a great sermon, Pastor. I appreciate that. I usually walk away going, I don't know what sermon you heard because the one that I just got through talking to, i got to go back and listen to because that was terrible. There have been many a Sunday in the last six and a half years where somebody said, man, I really needed to hear that. What did you hear exactly? I hope you heard the Spirit of God speaking through my heart because of the preparation that I did to follow Him and to guide through that. But what gifts do you have? There were three men who were believers during the French Revolution, and they were pushing back against Napoleon and that group, and they were going to be sent to the guillotine. And the first one says, well, I have the spiritual gift of faith. And so as they laid him down on the guillotine and they were about to drop the big old blade and cut his head off, he says, I believe that God is going to protect me and provide for me. And those are my last words. So they pulled the little handle and the guillotine stopped. 
And the rule was if the guillotine doesn't kill you, you're free. And the guy walked away. And the next guy walked up there and he says, I believe that God's going to protect me and that I'm going to walk out here because I have the gift of prophecy. And so they said, all right, fine. They turned him over on his back so he could see the blade coming at him. And they pulled the handle. The blade didn't move. He was free to go. The last guy gets up there, and they said, what about you? Have you got one of these gifts too? And he goes, yes, I do. I have the gift of help. And i got to tell you, boys, if you don't untie that knot over there, that blade's never going to fall. <laughs> we each have spiritual gifts, and no matter what the consequence of those gifts, we are given those with great responsibility to utilize those gifts to grow God's kingdom. And even in that hypothetical situation where that man went to his death, he was following obedient to the Lord because of the gifts he had been given. What gifts has God given you to serve others? What gifts is he developing you to do so? I think there's three areas of that. There's service. I think there's prayer and worship. And I think there's equipping. Those are the different areas, and it's really, really cool when you're around people in these, these environments and you're seeing everybody kind of get a piece of the action. You watch people kind of utilize those gifts in conjunction with their skills. And I'm just going to briefly kind of go over some of these gifts. You can find them in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those are, are three great places that you can find the spiritual gifts as well as Ephesians chapter 4. You can find those. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. I'm certainly not going to get into some of the more challenging gifts that even Paul says you, you, should, you should strive for the higher gifts. It just reminds me that years ago that, that one old boy got up in this, this Baptist church in Arkansas and he began speaking in tongues. And I believe that tongues is a gift, but I'm certain I don't have it. And he starts carrying on, but as the scripture says, when it comes to tongues, there ought to be somebody there to interpret. And the pastor says, let's do the right thing. Is there anyone here who can interpret this man speaking in tongues over there? And, and one man stood up and he says, Pastor, I can interpret he said he's going to give $10,000 to the building fund. When we get into kicking one another about the differences of the gifts, especially the ones that are so much more difficult for us to, to test and discern, let's just start high and believe that God is working through that person. And if they're following scripture, they know we don't exercise that gift in this public setting when it's disruptive. But it is a gift that God may have provided. I could go on about healing for a long time, but I would always wonder why are the hospitals so full if these people have all these healing gifts? Just to be fair, I am by no means a cessationist, but there are parts of me that leans that way sometimes. And that's a big churchy word that basically says that there were 12 apostles that had certain gifts, and after them, nobody else had those gifts. But I got to tell you something, boy, they used those gifts like crazy. And the gospel spread all over the world because of 12 men who were exercising their gifts, edifying the Lord Jesus Christ, building up the body, protecting themselves from being swayed to and fro. And they were speaking the truth in love because of those gifts. When it comes to gifts of service, we have helping others, administration, serving others, faith, mercy, giving. I fall in that category mostly. Those are the things that keep me working 12, 15 hours out in the sun yesterday so that nonprofits could get some money to keep serving people in our community. The second set is gifts of prayer and worship. Some have that, that, that prophecy, and I will tell you, I believe modern-day prophecy is kind of what I'm doing now. All I'm really doing is talking about the truth of God's Word. I'm not predicting future events. I'm not bringing new knowledge or information. I have great challenges with that. We don't do a good job of what God's already given us, so why are we looking for new stuff? It's not irrelevant because you're too lazy to know it and read it. 
It's, if you don't think it's not cool, then go back and read David and Goliath, especially you men out there. David cut that dude's head off with a sword. That's just awesome. That speaks to my man heart, right? Interpreting tongues, healing, miracles, discernment. Sometimes when somebody says something, you get an uneasy feeling. That's just the willies. When I'm talking about discernment, I'm talking about someone who knows the scripture can apply something that's been come across and say, you know what, that is in, that's in line with God's word. That doesn't just make me uncomfortable, that's in line with God's word. And then the third area is gifts of equipping. Don't let that, that first set up there scare you off pastoring and shepherding. Listen, priesthood of the believers. Some of you have certain gifts to work in groups to lead people to Christ, to, to build up one another in such a way. I have a special office, I know, with special responsibilities. I understand that according to the scriptures, but you do too. Teaching, knowledge, apostleship. Apostleship today is very interesting. One of the best definitions I saw was those who go out and start new things for the word of God. Church planters, you know those crazy people. The ones that say, yeah, that sounds like fun, I'll do that. That, by the way, was not me. I came kicking and screaming. I just, I'm going to be honest with you. Angelo knows. We have friends in common. He probably shook his head going, John, are you kidding me? It's funny that apostleship and wisdom would fall in the same category too, right? And I'm not talking about worldly wisdom. I'm talking about godly wisdom, the application of truth into everyday life. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. So when we think about these gifts, which ones do I have? Don't you dare say, I don't have any of those, or I can't use any of those, or that's outside of my ministry area. Because sometimes we just use skills to do what needs to be done for the body because other members of the body aren't using their gifts to build us up. And you want to see some worn-out people? You want to see some worn-out people? It's the ones who are exercising outside of their gifts because they have a, a sense of duty and calling to do what needs to be done because the kingdom is bigger than their preferences. The work still has to be done. I don't know how many of you have had a surgery lately. But if the surgeon doesn't show up, the nurse doesn't say, we're going to go ahead and do this surgery today. But we operate on the church like that all the time. Well, I don't have that gift, so I guess we won't do this. Or sadly, someone does the silly thing. Well, I guess I'll help out. And we put them in place because we see the bigger picture says that has to happen. And over time, it burns us out. It doesn't edify us. Anybody feeling uncomfortable yet? I sure hope so. And I'm not talking about guilting you into serving or getting in children's ministry or in preschool. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about becoming who Christ wants you to be by identifying and utilizing those gifts for the body as a whole, including those people who are not in this room today. These gifts were not just given to the church to grow us tighter together. It's so that we might use them outside as well because we work so well together. McDonald's is one of the most fascinating chains out there. I don't know if you've ever seen this fast food uh, documentary that's out there, but McDonald's sold this plan on how to make hamburgers and everything else, and they had these little charts, okay, the pickle goes here, and the, the lettuce goes here, and this, 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 is, and they went through all these different permutations on how the best way to put this thing together was. And then Ray Kroc sold it off, and somebody decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to charge people for this table that has these lines drawn on it. It was like $10,000, and this is the system of making a McDonald's hamburger, and they charged 
him and said, you know, who's going to want to go from Cincinnati to, to Key West and have the same hamburger? Don't they want local? And he's like, no, people want familiar. They want known. McDonald's sells over a billion hamburgers every day now because of that simple system of how it's supposed to work as they put it together. But what he realized was it was everybody working together to see that everything happened for that customer experience at the end of the day. Now, I hate the term customer experience when we start talking about church. I can't stand that. I want you to experience God, not experience the church, unless that church is worshiping God. Okay, is that fair? We could do lights, smoke, all that stuff. Lasers. I could get some tambourines in some of your hands, and we could just make this a, a shindig every Sunday morning. We could pretend we're David. I've not yet to defile myself before my Lord. Man, I love that. I'd love if somebody just broke out and worship uncontrollable in such a way that it glorified God and didn't freak the rest of us out. Is that fair enough? Because if it doesn't build us up, it doesn't need to be happening at that moment. McDonald's figured it out by doing this system, and sometimes we get in the way of this system, but their ideal work because just anybody could step in here and plug this hole. The body of Christ didn't work that way. A thumb is a thumb and is always a thumb and should always be used as a thumb, not as an eyeball. Some people have different gifts and talents and skills, but the Holy Spirit gives those out to us so that we might build up the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 tells us this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone, being Paul, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, think about that statement for a second. The faith that God has distributed to each of you. On some level, the creator who spoke things into existence believes in you so much that he gave you a gift to use that you didn't know how to use it. But he said, I'll teach you, I'll show you, and this is what it will do for you. Just think for a second. Many times we look at faith and think that we need to have faith in God when we need to also realize that God had faith in us because of what his son Jesus did for you. And so he distributed in faith to each of you for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. The undeserved gift of God given to us, he's given us these different gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I look at this list and go, eh, you know, one, one out of six, not too bad. That's okay. I don't have to have all six of these. I might demonstrate portions of this at a time, but it's not my primary gift. But whatever my primary gift is, God wants to put me in that place. And so my question earlier was, what spiritual gifts do you have to serve others? But the real ideal here is that I know what my spiritual gifts are. I know what my spiritual gifts are. And, and, and let me tell you something. The church as a whole 
has done a challenging job of helping you discover your gifts and finding ministry for you to use those gifts. It's one of the reasons why people can leave a church or not find a spot so easily because if they're using their gifts for that body and that's the member that needs to be there, to take that off is like amputating a finger or a toe, right? And so if there's no place for you to utilize your gifts, that connection and commitment to that body of Christ is not near as strong as it ought to be. And the church, particularly leadership, has not done a good job in the past helping you to discover those gifts and finding ministry areas for you to do that. And do you know why? I think there's two reasons. Spiritual gifts are challenging for the leadership to look and see. And the other side is that people just blatantly say, I don't want to do that. That's hard to work with. And so we plug the holes with willingness instead of capability. I love willingness. I can do a lot with willing. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, I cannot make you prophesy. I cannot make you generous. And if you go into places where you're not equipped to do so, you will never fully be successful in the Lord. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Find out what your spiritual gifts are. There's a website up there called spiritualgifttest.com. It's not the greatest one out there, but it's a good one. Spiritualgifttest.com. It's free to you. I don't get the results. Now, I could get the results if we were to pay for that. But I want to challenge you, quite literally, if you were serious about following God, about knowing Him better, about understanding how you're utilized in God's body, you'll figure out what your spiritual gifts are. And then let's make a deal. And this is my deal to you. I will exercise my spiritual gifts as God has given them to me if you will exercise yours. This is a commitment not to me, but to the Lord to say the gift that you have given me, I will cherish it. I will open that gift up and I will share it with the world. You know when you were a kid and you got a new toy underneath the Christmas tree and you unwrapped that thing? The first thing you want to do is be the only one to play with it, right? And then you realize that sometime, this isn't that fun being the only one playing with it. I think I want my friends to come and play with it too. But you're protective of it, right? Don't break it. I got that one for Christmas. All the while when our spiritual gifts are given to us and we open up those gifts and we bring somebody else to come and enjoy those things, that gift doesn't get more fragile, it gets more valuable. It gets stronger. It draws people in to be a part of what God is doing. They determine what their gifts are, and then they get a new toy, and they invite you over to play too. God gave us gifts because he trusts us, because he has faith in us, because it was gracious, but he gave us gifts to build us up and to build one another up. And I believe that if you will discover what your gifts are, that God can put you in a place to grow your personal walk with him and to grow your strengthening of the body of Christ. Can we make a deal? that we'll find out what our gifts are and we'll start the conversation of how do we utilize those gifts for the glory of God and to the growth of the body of Christ. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and bless you and thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time, God, that we get to come together to serve you. Father, we thank you that you have given us these gifts and that we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so, God, this morning, I ask that we would all just make a commitment in our hearts that we would learn our gifts and find ways to use them, God, for your kingdom. 
Lord, I believe you've given us this body of Christ to serve this body, but we also recognize that this body is designed to go out and serve this community. And so, Lord, whatever those gifts may be, let's use them wisely and well. Let's do the things we need to do. Father, we also come before you this morning, and we thank you for how you provide for this church. We pray over our offering, Lord, that we might be able to distribute it into our community, especially for our ministry partners that are out there that, that are, are being served because of the generosity and the faithfulness of this church. And so, God, would you bless that this morning? Lord, we also just lift up people that are here today that you know are wrestling and challenging with what is my purpose in life and how can I discover that for God? And so, Lord, I pray you'd open up their hearts, speak to their minds, quiet their spirits a little bit, Lord. Open up your word and reveal to them, Lord, who they are and what you want to do with them. Father, thank you for Jesus, for how he loves us and how he provides for the grace that we were extended so that we might have salvation through him alone. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to take our offering this morning. I invite you to take your prayer cards. and uh, I didn't see any of the seats this way. Hook us up online. Thank you for giving generously to our church. We're going to pass the plate, and then we're going to worship this morning. Angelo.